Well, it's good to be here again together. Um, there's one thing I love, and that's being among the people of God. Um, and we're going to be looking at a new uh, series, and it's going to be on discipleship. Yeah, I was expecting a cheer or something. Maybe a, <laughs> let me just, sorry, sorry, let, let, me, let me try that again. So we're looking at a new series, and um, it's going to be on discipleship. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Discipleship, it's a really, you know, it's something that really catches you, doesn't it? And uh, whenever someone says discipleship, you can't help but just have that joy rise up in you. Or you hear discipleship and you think that's a bit too close to discipline. And perhaps that's not as, as freeing, and especially in our Western society, that doesn't sound very individualistic. Uh, That's not me going my way, that's me having to go someone else's way. Perhaps discipleship is maybe something of the past. It's not. Uh, I'm going to expand a little bit more on it, so that's not the whole sermon there. Yeah, so those who like short sermons, you can just write that down and you can be done. There you go. Those who want a little bit more depth, um, you can tune in a bit longer. And, uh, and I'll expand a bit more what it is uh, I want to speak about discipleship. I was starting to do some uh, research into this, and um, as often happens with me, I think things are smaller than they are until I begin to look at them. And then I realize this is far larger than I've given myself time to, to look at and to try and distill this into something that is going to be meaningful for you. Um, yeah, next week and probably the next year. So discipleship. Um, and so I started looking. I just thought, oh, you know, what you do, you, we're all in the, uh, our Bibles are always on our phones now. So I thought I'd go on there and I'd just give a search for disciple, disciples, discipleship. I'll just give a quick search on that. There'll be a few key passages. I'll just take those. I'll expand on that and we'll be good to go. And I found out that it comes up in the New Testament 260 times. Now, it only comes up 260 times in the New Testament, and that's only 260 times in the Gospel and the Book of Acts. So it's not even in all of the uh, New Testament. So here we have a, a, a word that is used over 260 times, and I thought, oh man, that seems like a lot. But maybe I, uh, maybe I need to look up a different word in the New Testament just to see maybe, is, is that a lot in the New Testament? So I thought I'd look up something like, look up worship. Surely worship would be something that's mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament. Worship's only mentioned 140 times. I was like, oh, okay, so discipleship's a little bit like, uh, I said, I know what I'd do. I'll compare it to what we would most likely think that the New Testament's all above. I'll compare it to something like love. I'll look up the word love, and that's going to be so much greater that it'll give me some context of what I'm looking at. The word love only appears 240 times in the New Testament. Disciple or discipleship recall, um, occurs 260 times. As a topic, as a focus, as something that is mentioned, yes, it's often in a narrative form, but it's something that is continually mentioned. It's mentioned more in the New Testament than the word love. Now, I'm not trying to say, therefore, it has a greater meaning, therefore, it's, it's of greater importance. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that this is a topic that the early writers thought was so important, they kept on using it. 
And not only do we just have the word disciples or discipleship in the New Testament, when you start reading the rest of the New Testament, the actual F, uh, the, the, the reference to what it is to be a disciple is often used as well. And if we included things like followers or believers on top of this, we have a topic that is far greater than perhaps many of us would think or probably even comprehend that the New Testament writers are trying to get across. So I bit off more than I could chew when I thought I was going to have a look at all these verses referring to disciples. So I had a coffee with Greg and, uh, yesterday morning, and he, and he said, how are you going? And, and I said, not good. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm, I'm where I want to be in this. And so we had a bit of a, a chat through with, it, with Greg, and that's, that's brilliant. And this is what it is to be in fellowship. This is what it means, is you can actually, you don't have to be in isolation. I don't have to be by myself in isolation trying to figure this out. This is what discipleship's about. It's we figure things out as family. We figure things out as friends. We figure things out together because when we're isolated, that's where we're in danger. So I, I was having a, a chat with Greg and... And he, he, he said to me, do you know what the word disciple actually means? And of course, I've been looking at the references in Scripture, but I never really looked at what it actually, the, the root word that it comes from. And, and Greg, being a fountain of knowledge, uh, says it's actually not even in the Greek. Um, it's actually from the, the Latin translation. Um, and the actual Greek word that is used is matthaeus, matthaeus. Mathetus, Mathetus. Now, Mathetus is the Greek word that we would often translate into disciple. And Mathetus is a Greek word that has this connotation of being a learner, someone who's a learner. But it's not just someone who studies. No, it's someone who does more than that, that they actually seek out a teacher that they can come under and devote themselves to their teaching, not just to their teaching, but to learn how to be observant and learn how to apply their teaching into what they do. And we, it actually comes from the Greek. We, we also get the word mathematics from this word, which means to, uh, with, with intellect and thought, to follow through a process with endeavor, like that That. Um, application is, is important. And mathematics and mathematicians will always tell you that the, the application is more important than anything else. Mathetus. And the Greeks had this down really well. They, they understood what it is, this Mathetus. And, and an example of this is Plato. Plato being one of the most famous philosophers in, in Greek history. And Plato started off this, this almost method of having disciples, having people who would come and live with him and be part of his school and learn to think the way that he thought. And he would pass that on to his disciples. Now, Plato only really had one major disciple, Aristotle, but Aristotle actually took this to an extreme. He actually opened multiple different schools 
and were teaching people, discipling them how to think the way that he had been taught to think. And even to the extent that it became known, not just as a, as a, a particular stream of thinking, but Aristotle even brought it to a, a point of actually this was a Greek way of thinking. Like a whole people group now would think this way. And it was so powerful the way that Aristotle would be doing this that even when the Roman army came in and conquered them, 200 years later, 200 years later, the Roman army comes in and completely conquers the Greece nation. Now the Greeks are under the Roman rule and the power and the authority comes from Rome, but the thoughts cannot be ruled. And actually what's, what lasts out of this is far more is the influence of the Greek thought into Roman society than ever there was of the Roman society influencing the Greek culture. And even to the extent that the Greek thought is now what we would call the basis of Western thought. Not, we don't talk Roman thought, the basis of Western thought. We don't, we don't go to Rome to look for that. We go to Greece. We go to the Greek philosophers. And so they had this down pat. They, they, not, not that they realized it, but actually what came out of this when they made disciples was that they trained people how to think. And it was so much more powerful than any army invading a nation. And we have this today, an army invading a nation, trying to change their thoughts to say, you're not Ukrainians, you're Russians. And when we pray for people in the Ukraine, we pray, Lord Jesus, protect their minds and thoughts, that they may not be corrupted. Methetus is this living out that is far more powerful because it retrains and it, and it makes your mind and your thoughts something that is so much more powerful than any might or any power can come and bring in. A disciple, they would join a school. They would seek it out. You see, if it was Aristotle started these schools and there would be people that would seek it out to put themselves under it, to submit to this um, training, but they would do it with all they had. And they would often pay for the privilege to do this. And we have these disciples we have them of the Greeks, but we also have them of the Pharisees had disciples. And there was the same method. This was two, 300 years after Aristotle. And yet this same process, the Pharisees had their disciples. John the Baptist had his disciples. And these disciples would be the ones who would go seek out the rabbi, seek out the teacher, seek out those they wanted to come under. But what is very different about disciples of Jesus is they didn't seek him out. He sought them out. He went to them and said, come follow. And he didn't ask for money. And it wasn't to bolster up his fame and his reputation. But he sought out men to follow him.
In the ancient time also, the disciples were expected to go on to be teachers themselves. They would be the ones that would then take these thoughts and these processes and then be the ones that would put it into society and put it into the common people. They were expected to become teachers themselves. And then they would have disciples of their own who would then also be trained in the way that they were speaking so that they would go on. And this is where Jesus differs again. Because we do not have disciples. I will never have a disciple. Because whereas it was before that we would become the teacher, Jesus says you will never become the teacher. You have one teacher. And you are all disciples, all brothers, all family under that. And so we don't go on becoming something like Jesus. We don't become equal to Jesus that then go on and make disciples. We are lifelong disciples of Jesus, which is very different to what it was in that day and age. They would be expected, I've been with this rabbi, this teacher for three or so years. I will now start up my own school of thought that would also come and have to suffer. This was not the case with Jesus. Jesus said, this is not what you will do. You will not call yourself. In fact, Jesus said to them, commanded them, do not call yourself rabbi. Do not call yourself rabbi. And so much was this process of Jesus bringing in his disciples and teaching them and, and, and living this out that he would put in them that they would always be those who would be his disciples, that it goes on into Acts. And the most common way to describe Christians in Acts is disciples. Long before they were called Christians, they were called disciples of Jesus Christ, which was very uncommon to still be called a disciple of someone who was deceased, and let alone to say you are disciples always for the rest of your life, and then when someone else comes in, they also will be disciples of Jesus Christ forever. Very different to how disciples were in that day and age. So I want to take you through four different things that I see Jesus doing. And I was thinking about what should be the focus of this talk. And I, I know it's discipleship, yeah. But what, what, is a, what is a thing that I want to, people to grip on this and take from it? And, and in my trying to think it and trying to just give myself time to think about it, the, the word discipleship just kind of broke up to me. And I just saw the word disciple and ship. And I thought, what's, what's significant about that? And I, and I was praying, like, why, why, why is this show me disciple and ship? And I felt led to look at all the times that Jesus got into a boat. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through Matthew, all of Matthew. Yeah, we've got time, it's all right. We're going to go through all of Matthew, and we're going to look at the different moments when Jesus uh, either got in or got out of a boat. And I want to tell you this is because it is important where Jesus is, because that is the heart of discipleship. Where is Jesus 
and where are you? Where is Jesus and where are you? So we're going to turn to Matthew 4, chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, uh, left their boat and their father and followed him. This is Jesus doing discipleship different to how everyone else did it, by him going and calling those to be his disciples. And it's important. This, this point I want to make here is that the start matters. In discipleship, the start matters. Who calls you matters in discipleship. Because when the times get tough, when the pressure comes on, when you think, I can't be bothered to go to another prayer meeting, the start matters. What boat did you start in? We all started in the same boat. No matter where you're from, no matter whether you're born in a Christian family or whether you're born outside of the family of God. No matter what, you all started in the same boat. And that was one that was not of the Father of heaven, but the Father of this world. We were born into sin and into this world. And that's important to realize because we're called out of that boat. We are no longer in the world. That is not where we dwell. That is not where we have our satisfaction. We are called out of the boat to follow Jesus. And there's a transformation that happens there. You know, once we had a father that was not God. Once we have a heritage that was not godly. Once we had a job that was not working for God. And Jesus comes and he says, I see the boat you're in and I'm calling you to leave that boat and to follow me. Now the amazing thing of the disciples here, and I don't know the whole story, but I could imagine the father being a little bit bewildered that his two workers, his two sons, are just leaving. And I could also imagine, this is not in Scripture, so this is just me imagining, the father having words with his sons perhaps and saying, where do you think you're going? We have work to do here. You can, you can run off and play in your spare time. You can run off and play when it suits you. But you stay here and you do what I'm calling you. You're, you're my son. You stay in the boat. Some of us live lives like that. We go follow Jesus when it's convenient for us, but when we hear the call and the pull of the world, 
you go to the wrong boat. But Jesus calls them and immediately they follow. And his calling is for a new job and a new purpose. Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. He gives them a new job, a new purpose, a new direction. He says, come, come and I will show you. I will teach you. I will grow you into what it means to be a fisher of men. And I love that when he says, I will make you. I mean, how amazing is that? Like when you're struggling, this is where it's so important that you know this, that the start matters. Because when you're struggling, it is not up to your strength to be able to do it. He says, I will make you. So you're not having to try and say, can I do this? Is there a, a, an ability or a capacity for me to be able to do this? He says, no, that is not the point. I have called and I will make you. I will make you. The start matters. My eldest brother, um, Liam, he was how old? He's six years older than me, and and I always looked up to him, and, and I always thought, you know, he's the most amazing brother in the world. I know that's different now that I'm older and I've seen what he's like. But anyway, and, and when I was younger, I, he was he was amazing. He was amazing. I loved it. I loved being able to follow my brother, and he used to go before me in every in everything. So. Every school I went into, they'd come up and go, oh, you're Hoodie's little brother. You're, you're Hoodie's little brother. And I'd be like, yeah, I am. And all of a sudden, I was known because of my big brother. I, I, and I loved that. And my, my brother, um, when he was in high school, he got to it's year 10 in Australia, so I don't know what, year 9 or something like that here in the in the UK, and he, and he got to that point, and he just said to my mum and dad, he says, I don't want to do school anymore. I don't like it. And my dad was like, that's fine. You don't have to, son, but you need to get an apprenticeship. You don't have to do school, but you need to become an apprentice. Choose what you want, doesn't matter. So my brother um, knew a few people in the church uh, who were bricklayers um, and they offered him an apprenticeship and so he got uh, so he went left school uh, started an apprenticeship at the age of 15 um, worked for these guys for for many many years I can't remember how long like 10 15 years something like this worked for them um, he, 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 as well as going to it and part of the the process of doing it is you you do the on-site training of doing the apprenticeship but you also go to a a college as well to get the, um, the, the theory of it, as well to get the uh, paper to say that you had completed your apprenticeship. And um, so he did that, and, and he's a very clever man. So it always baffled me why he went into Brick Lane, because he was always quite high up in his class. It's not like he didn't, wasn't academic at all. He just didn't care for it. Um, and so when he did the apprenticeship, he became, he, he, he did the apprenticeship, um, he, would get, he would get awards, he, would, he used to have to travel down to Melbourne to get awarded, like the apprentice of the year and things like this. And, and as, a, as a little brother, and you're seeing your big brother like that, 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 that kind of like burns in your mind how amazing your big brother is. 
And so he became an apprentice, and he did it well, and he did it very well. Um, and in fact, the company he worked for would only be employed by the more expensive housing companies because they would make sure that every brick had the exact same gap between each one. And if there was any discrepancy, they would pull that whole wall down and they would build it back up again. And so my brother worked for this company and then the owner of this company felt called into the ministry and they were looking to offload the business. And who do they offload it to? But to my brother. Now they didn't even ask him to buy the business. They just gifted it to him because he had a level of expertise but also of wanting to have that good quality that would carry on that name and I remember my brother I, I, when we moved back to Australia we lived with him and he said one day that he had a new apprentice and he was laying bricks and he had done the whole wall his whole wall and he'd done it wrong my brother said pull that down you're on the mud for a week and so that which just means he's mixing mud he doesn't get to lay bricks anymore because he hasn't done it to the right standard. And so it matters where you start. So my brother started with a company that had a high standard. And so when he takes on that apprenticeship, it's inbuilt in him. It's actually part of who he is. So when he's doing that, guess what happens? It comes to that same standard. You see, where you start matters. And we start by being called. We start by being justified. We start by having the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. That's our start. And then he says, I will make you. The start matters. Yeah, I'm not getting through these today. <laughs> Let's go to the next boat. We are followers, is what I've titled this with. Matthew 8, 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Verse 23 says this, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Wherever Jesus goes, we follow. If he gets in the boat, we get in the boat. 
And there is no fear of death for us. It has no hold on us anymore. Death has been defeated. And so where Jesus goes, it may look scary, but we have no fear. You see, the disciples didn't stop to check their weather app. They didn't stop to say, actually, this time of the year, Jesus, storms are they're quite violent and they come quite frequently. Perhaps, perhaps we should wait to see what the weather will do first before we just get in a boat. You know, this, I don't know if this is the best timing, Jesus. Perhaps we should do this next week. Perhaps maybe in a couple of months we'll kick that off. Maybe, maybe later. Maybe later we'll, we'll do that. And we have that exact same thing that Jesus is teaching just before that. We have those, let me go bury the dead. No, you follow where I go. We are followers. I am not a leader. I am a follower encouraging others to follow. We are all followers. And as they got into this boat and the storm starts to rage, I'm pretty sure they're wondering, should we have got into this boat? These are fishermen. These are, not, these are not people who are unfamiliar with storms. And yet they're fearful for their own life. We are followers and where Jesus goes is costly. And it is cost that we need to count. Bonhoeffer says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When the disciples stepped into that boat, there was a great possibility that they would also die. But we are called to follow. And it costs to follow Jesus Christ. But it costs so much more not to follow him. It costs so much more not to follow him. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And, are not one of them, oh, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And jumping down to 38. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It costs to follow Jesus Christ. It costs more to not follow Jesus Christ. We are called to follow where he goes. And yes, there is a price. And yes, there is suffering. And we see this in the world. We've seen it for the last two years with COVID. And as that crisis passes, what do we get? We have another crisis as Russia invades Ukraine. 
We are not immune from suffering because of being followers of Christ. But we are immune from death. Because death no longer is a great enemy because we pass from that into eternal life. And so where Jesus goes, we follow. Disciples are followers. Yeah, I'm halfway through, so... <laughs> so, saving the rest of you nodding off. I, I'll, I will continue this next week. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> what we're going to do, though, is we're going to go back into a time of worship. And I want you to remember those two things. I haven't even got to the application of those, so I say I'm halfway. I'm not even that. But <laughs> what we're going to... What we're going to do is, part of being a disciples is that we love to worship. We love to give glory back to God. So what we're going to do now, we're going to have the, the worship team come back up. Man, I've completely misjudged this one, guys. I'm, but anyway, <laughs> um, so we're going, to, we're going to come back to a time of worship. And as we're worshiping, I want you to remember these two things. The start matters. The start matters. Who has called you matters. We as disciples are followers. Those two things, the start matters and we follow where he goes. And as we worship, let us worship with those two things in mind. Let us worship knowing that the start matters and where he goes, we will follow. Come on, let's stand up. Let's worship and let... Let's come back to the start. For some of us, we need to rem be reminded of our start. It's Jesus. Some of you maybe even think about the first day that you said, I'm now a follower of Jesus. Come back to that day. Give thanks to God for that start. It may even be that there's somebody here today who would say, I'm not sure I've started yet. I've been looking, I've been watching, I nearly got in the boat, but I haven't started. I haven't started to follow. I'd, uh, I'd love us just to spend some time in worship, and then maybe we'll get Greg to just lead us in a prayer. Greg, would you be up for doing that in a minute? Just if anyone would say, today I want to start. But let's, let's, let's think about the start. Many of us will think back many years. Maybe we had many starts. Let's come to the one who we started with. Let's commit ourselves to following again as we worship. And then I'll let Greg lead us in prayer in a, a little bit. When Ashley was sharing about uh, being a follower of Jesus, being tough, um, that's, that's absolutely right. Who would, de who would deny that? And um, it's, it's not the... God doesn't promise us deliverance from trouble, but deliverance in the midst of trouble, whether it's on a macro scale like we see in the world today with Ukraine, or uh, whether it's on a, a smaller scale to do with personal suffering that we think about Andy and Colette today and their mm -hmm. tragedy that's, that's uh, befallen them. But that verse popped to mind where it got tough for some of the 
uh, early disciples of Jesus in the Gospels, and some of them began to desert Jesus because following him was tough. And Jesus turns to his disciples, the ones who were remaining, and he said, are you going to stop following me too? Are you going to stop being my apprentices? Be, are you going to stop being my disciples? And um, we're told that Peter said, John verse chapter 6, um, uh, uh, verse 68, uh, it says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And um, that's true, isn't it? It's true for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters right now. You may have seen pictures of them kneeling in the snow to pray. It's been a real revival, a real move of God in, in that nation these past few years. It's true for Andy and Colette, isn't it, in their tragedy. To whom, whom, where can we go? To whom can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And the privilege of leading someone to Christ on Thursday. I went to, into a shop on the south of the island uh, and for five minutes and ended up being there for about 50 minutes and ended up leading this guy to Christ, the shop, the shop assistant called Darren. And as I prayed for him behind, there was the COVID counter there, so I couldn't lay a hand on him. But as I prayed for him, uh, he just said, oh, I felt this tingling. He said, go right through my legs. And I said, have you ever felt that before? And he said, no. And I said, what do you think it is? He said, God. And I said, yeah, that's God. And I said, I said to him, I gave him the 101 of discipleship. I said, just like a plant needs three things to grow, air, light, and water, you need three things to grow as a Christian, Bible, prayer, church. And told him about those three things. I said, you can pray anywhere. I said, in the shop. Uh, I said, uh, this church, this, this, uh, this shop, I said, could become the, like the finest cathedral in England. I said, as you pray, anyway, I left, and uh, he, added, he added me on Facebook. And then I got a message later that evening. Let me just read it. It said, hello, Greg, thank you. Um, uh, thank you. He said, you won't believe it. He said, I thank God for meeting you in the shop last night. I was mopping the floor when praying in my head, and I had an almighty rush come over me. It was amazing. It felt as if I had a cold shiver go through me. Uh, without the cold. It felt warm and tingly, but a powerful rush in every nerve ending and a feeling of joy. This was my personal experience. Quite hard to explain it. I've always believed in the Holy Spirit, but never felt him come to me. Thank you so much. Amazingly, you know, that, that thing was answered, you know, that that um, shop of his became like the finest cathedral in England. Maybe, I said to my wife, maybe he encountered God more in his shop than in many of the cathedrals. <laughs> In England, we won't go there. But um, you know, but the, the thing about God in the natural, I think, who was it who said that earlier? Just encountering God in the um, in the in the mundane, the, um, the the natural. You know, just mopping the floor. That's our God, isn't it? And that, and, um, and the joys, and I felt the joy of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I'm going to uh, have a prayer now. Anyone here, perhaps, who wants to give their life to Christ, or as a recommitment to Christ? And it simply says this. I'm going to say what we're going to say first. It says, "Dear Jesus." Uh, I cease following myself and the wisdom of the world. I choose to follow you. I turn from my sin uh, to you. We need to turn to Jesus because the only way to get to heaven is via King's cross. You know, Jesus dying on the cross for each one of us. So I turn from my sin to you, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Uh, fill me with your spirit that I might know your joy. Something, something like that. So if you want to uh, pray, let's just bow our heads and pray this. But we can all pray it, can't we? As a, a reconsecration to God. All of us, no matter how long we've been a disciple, a methetes, a, 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 an apprentice, as Ashley said. But uh, perhaps for anyone who particularly wants to pray this, either for the first time um, or maybe as a, as, a, as a recommitment in terms of if you, if you know that you know, you've slipped, so to speak, you're, you're not really following Christ. Um, perhaps if that is anyone, perhaps just, just while you're standing, everyone's got their uh, eyes closed in prayer, just raise your right hand if perhaps you're praying this as a, as a commitment for the first time to 
Jesus this morning or as a recommitment uh, today. Just indicate um, if, that's, if that's you. Okay, thank you. So that's, where, that's where one person at least, but um, there may, may well be others. So here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, just echo this prayer in the quietness of your own heart. Um, I'll just pause at the end of each line. Dear Jesus, um, I cease to follow myself. I cease to follow the wisdom of the world. And I choose to follow you. I want to be your apprentice. I turn from my sin to you. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Like Darren, may I, may I know your joy. Holy Spirit, rush into me. Just like a plant needs air and light and water. Help me connect with community, the church. Hear your voice in the Bible and speak to you in prayer. I choose to follow you all my days. Amen. So, Father, we pray for our, ourselves that uh, those of us, we, perhaps we've all prayed that as a, as a re-consecration to you. Uh, and help us, help us do that, Lord. We realize our, it's so easy for our, 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 our feet to slip. Not that we fall away or anything like that, but we can lose that God consciousness and just become absorbed in stuff. And we can get our eyes off you and the problems of this world. And there are many of those, Lord, everywhere just coming out of this pandemic and now with this huge uncertainty of the situation in Ukraine. But we get our eyes onto you, Lord Jesus. Pray, Father, for anyone who prayed that prayer, particularly just now. Pray for that uh, one individual, but perhaps others who prayed that prayer. Fill them, we pray, with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. We pray that for ourselves. Fill us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit with overflowing. Pray for Darren this morning as well. And uh, so for each one of us, Lord, may we have that tangible sense of your presence. May, may we know you, Lord, in the mundane, whether we're doing the washing up or mopping the floor. Thank you, whatever we're doing, it can become uh, a place of encounter, just as much as the finest cathedral in the land, uh, we pray. May we encounter you in the ordinary. May, may our ordinary lives become extraordinary, Lord, as we seek to follow you more and more. We pray. Amen.